The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Now let's go. I love finding an amazing book written by someone that is curious and humble. And today's guest is Melinda Wenner Moyer, and she's a contributing editor at Scientific American Magazine and a regular contributor to the New York Times, Washington Post, and other national magazines and newspapers. She's a faculty member in the Science, Health, and Environmental Reporting Program at the NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. Her first book, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, was published in July 2021, and I am so excited to finally bring a conversation with her to you. I'm not going to explain anything. Let's just jump in. I told you in the introduction, I wouldn't spoil the conversation because I am so excited to talk with this author. Um, Welcome, Melinda. I'm so glad to chat. Thank you so much, Christy. I'm so glad to be here. So you are not a parenting expert. Let's start with that. That is correct. (laughs) I definitely am not. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time with my own children. (laughs) So no, I'm not a parenting expert. I am a science journalist. Um, which means I, I've been writing about science and medicine, uh, for 15 years as a freelance journalist. Um, so that's kind of how I, I, I I consider myself. Um, but as a science journalist, you can kind of like become, if you, you know, I dig into research on Mm -hmm. issues. And so that is how I guess I got (laughs) to my book is, is I was like, you know what, I want to know what the research says on raising good human beings. And so then I I just dug into it. Well, yeah, you're invested because you have two human beings you're trying to raise. Exactly. Yes, I have a 10 year old son and a seven year old daughter. And um, yeah, and then like, a few years ago, I just I, I feel like I was I was getting more and more frustrated and worried by the behavior I was seeing around me like the bad behavior and yeah. the two allegations coming to light. And I was Um, and, and I was just like, you know, what I, I realized what I care about more than anything else is that my, my kids grow up to be good people and not jerks. And 
I started looking into the research on it because I'm a nerd and that's what I do. And I realized like there's so much actual, there's so much research on child development, on the development of character, on development of values. And like a lot of it was counterintuitive um, and, and surprising. And that's when I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I want to write a book on this. Like this would feel like a good thing to do, an important thing to do in, in some way, like hopefully like help other parents who might be thinking the same thing and wondering how to raise good kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I have both read your book and I've listened to your book. So I took it in two ways and it is a really great book that answers questions that I know I've had and cried over with my girlfriends. Like, what do you do with this situation? Or how do we talk about racism? Or how do we talk about sexism or sexting and all these other things? There's a lot of bad behavior out there. And you're like, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's so much to think about and talk about. And um, yeah. So I mean, certainly like my, that is the the one tricky thing I think about the book is like, it, it's, it it's trying to cover so much ground. <laughs> and so there's chapters on things that are so different. And like, each, each one has a totally different research base that I was looking into. Um, and, you know, with very different researchers studying the different things, but it was really interesting, because I did see some like common themes popping back up over and over again in these different areas. And I thought that was really interesting. I think overall, right? So you wanted to start this book because of all the bad behavior, right? That's where it came from. And then mm -hmm. what was the first thing you wanted to dive into? What did you want to solve first? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I guess I have to start by saying some of the areas I had already delved into a little before I started writing the book, like I did write about talking to kids about race for Slate a, a couple years earlier. So that, but that one was like a huge one I knew I really, really wanted to cover. And I wanted to dig into even more because I knew that the science on that was kind of surprising and, and a little bit challenges what a lot of white parents in particular think they should do. So that was a big one. Mm -hmm. But then I guess like, once I started digging into the book, and I and I thought about the things I didn't know anything about, and the things I really wanted to learn about, I would say what I ended up ch tackling in that first chapter on selflessness on raising generous kids and yes. helpful kids, that felt like a really, really important part of this. Because when I was thinking like, what is, what is like an asshole? What are the characteristics of an asshole? <laughs> yeah. and what's the opposite of that? I was like, you know, I think of selfishness as being like front and center with assholes. And so I want to know, like, what do we know about how to raise kids who aren't super selfish? And so that was a big, that was a big, important one. And I think it was a great connection to everything else in the book that really what it comes down to is, are we connected with other people? Can we consider the other, which is right. what assholes don't do, right? They don't consider right. the other at all, ever. <laughs> yeah, it's just all about them all the time and what they want and what they need. Yeah, totally. So it really, yeah, it really comes down to like connecting kids to that bigger community that they're in, whether it's like on a family level, you're part of a family or a community or the whole world, you know, the planet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think as our kids age, right, like their world gets bigger as as they grow yes. and we can help them we can scaffold those opportunities for them to be helpful um absolutely starting with yeah. like the chores in our house and the helpful yep. unhelpful toddlers versus like <laughs> teenagers that really can make whole movements happen right it's amazing what our kids can do yeah 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 young people i mean they're the people who kind of change the world it's they're they have just so I mean, they're so 
amazing at being able to think outside the box, being willing to take risks that other people aren't willing to do. I mean, there's so many reasons that like teenagers are actually really, really important world changers. <laughs> they are. And, and raising, I've got two teenagers right now, and it's really amazing to be in this space that I approach them with just such awe and curiosity that they're not like the teenagers, I don't know, that we see on TV where we're just kind of dreading interacting with them. Like they get such right. a bad rap. And um, if we can just slow down and talk to them about what they're seeing and validate them, it's an interesting point of view. They have a lot of wisdom. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yes, they do. <laughs> so when we're talking about connecting to others and connecting to racism and talking about sexism, basically the big overall thing was to be more specific with our kids, isn't it? <laughs> with how to not. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, leaning in to conversations that you might want to avoid. It was like a big thing that I kept coming up against. You know, I just feel like there are so many, we, we are very well-meaning as parents. We want to protect our kids. We don't want to overwhelm them with like all the terrible things that happen in the world or yep. all the issues that they are going to have to face. And this is really understandable. Um, but at the same time, I think, I think we overprotect and we lean away from conversations about issues that are actually, you know, super complicated and nuanced and that, you know, our kids need to learn from us about because like things like, you know, sexism, racism, um, even like sex and pornography and relationships, yep. these are things that like, kids are getting messages from our culture from the media they're not always good messages and so we need to be in there also putting our voices in there as you know um to help them understand and make make sense of what they're hearing and seeing and put things into context and sort of share our own worldview on the topic because otherwise you know, they're going to start making assumptions and or you know conclusions that aren't really based in <laughs> in reality or, or or just aren't very constructive um so yeah that's a big thing and and i guess part of that as you said yeah is so it's leaning into the things that we're we tend to avoid but also yes being specific and explicit sometimes <laughs> in ways that we don't like to do like i think we like to be very vague when we when we talk about race we say like everybody's the same on the inside or, you know, you should be friends with, with people no matter what they look like. And we kind of vaguely allude to race, yep. but we, we aren't specific. And sometimes kids really don't get what we're trying to say. Um, so yeah, being specific and being explicit and just like having conversations about things we <laughs> feel nervous about. That's a really big part of the book. Absolutely. In fact, this morning, just as I was reading a book with my son, we're reading this book called The Rickshaw Girl. And it's about a girl that lives in Bangladesh. And she's not allowed to pull the rickshaw, right? Like she can't provide any income for her family and she just wants to help. And so it was this great moment of talking about sexism with my son and he's like, I've never heard of that word before. What do you mean? He's like, I know racism, but what's this other thing? <laughs> I was like, oh, you're almost nine and I haven't like used these words before. Um, and right. that was a big moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had a lot of those moments where I'm like, wait, how have I not actually had this conversation with you yet? And I need to remedy that stat. And, and, but it is amazing. Like there's so many opportunities. I think once you start to look for them, opportunities to talk about issues, you know, like when you're reading to your kids last night, um, I was reading an Amelia Bedelia book to my daughter, which are, they're kind of, I feel like they're kind of old. I feel like I grew up, I don't know, with those books. Yeah, and they're kind of like, outdated when you read them as a parent though, right? You're like, oh. Yes. 
Exactly. And so like the opening scene was a dad coming home and he was tickling his daughter and she like really didn't like it and told him to stop or it was unclear how much she liked Mm -hmm. it. She said, please stop, please stop. And he wouldn't stop. And like, and my daughter was like, wait a minute, that's, she didn't consent to that. And and I was like, yes, let's have this conversation because we've talked about consent before. And we were like, you know, and I was like, yes, that's true. You know, if somebody's touching your body and you say, no, that person should stop. And we had this whole conversation just based on this like intro, a few paragraphs of this book, which books are so great for that kind of thing. Books, TV shows for like, you know, press pause and let's talk about this for a minute, (laughs) you know? huge in 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 it's constructive for things like this but also for people that don't live in diverse communities when we want to talk about racism as white parents we're not always showing diversity in a positive way and showing like joy of the black experience um, yes cuz the news often shows trauma of the black experience right that's very very true and i think yeah there's so many great books um that can that can help, you know, introduce our kids to these ideas and also give us language and the frameworks to try to talk about them if we're not sure how. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I rely on books a lot to help me as a parent to get into discussing different issues. I mean, we, we also have books for like body parts and puberty and, you know, all those things that like, it's like you don't sometimes know where to start and sometimes buying books and, and reading them to your kids is a great way in. Absolutely. And the public library is a great resource for all those books, too, if you're not sure if it's like the quality of book you want to have in your house. So. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, we love our library (laughs) and it's so nice to feel like you can just check out some books and if you don't like them, that's okay because you can return them, you know. (laughs) Exactly. Huge. So when when parents are talking about, let's say, with racism, because it's a big topic in the last year with the pandemic or counter like parallel to the pandemic with George Floyd and I live in Georgia so there was um Amand Arbery that was pretty close by so how are we talking about kids with racism or talking about it ourselves did you have to do your own work before you could talk about racism with your kids I did I did do definitely some work because um I, yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you the, yeah, <laughs> I'll give, tell you the little anecdote that sort of leads up to what, when I realized, like, I need to, I need to do some work on this myself. Um, during the pandemic, my kids um, signed up to do uh, like an online research study with, um, for a social psychologist that I actually um had met with before and who's who's cited in my book and she was doing some research um, and I actually didn't know what the study was going to be about Uh, all I knew is she was a social psychologist who kind of studies how children um, understand groups and different you know and and um, relate to different kinds of groups of people so I'm watching her do so she gets her iPad and it's a thing that she's doing by herself Uh and I was like you know and I said okay just be honest and answer these questions however you feel is right you know there's no wrong answer and I, but I kind of stood behind her and I was watching. And it turned out that this study was understanding basically how kids develop racial prejudice and like how different how different kids think about race. And so they asked her, they showed pictures of different kids of different skin colors, basically, and said, you know, if you were on the playground, which child would you like to play with? And I was petrified that she was going to, you know, only choose other mm-hmm. white kids because um, they're white. Um, and I... <laughs> 
I was very happy that you know, she did choose um, a diverse group because they asked the question over and over again with yeah. different pictures. So sometimes she chose white kids, sometimes she chose black kids, sometimes she chose brown kids. And I was very happy about that. But then the last question they asked her was, who do you think your parents would want you to play with on the playground? Hmm. And she chose white kids every time. And I was like, I was beside myself. I, you know, I was like, what does that mean? What is, what does she, what does she think? And I, yeah. I didn't engage with her on it because I didn't want her to think that she had said, done something wrong. I didn't want her to feel like worried or ashamed that she'd upset me. So I actually didn't talk to her about this. I probably could bring it up now. It's been so long and maybe bring it up in a different way. Mm-hmm. But I remember just thinking, gosh, there's something that my, there's some reason that my daughter thinks that I would prefer her to hang out with white kids. And what is that reflecting? Am I behaving in a way as a parent? Am I, am I sending this message somehow that yeah. like I only like white people? And, you know, I, I, I really led to some introspection. And that's when I started getting books from the library um, on race and on raising kids as a, as white parents and on just like understanding racism and understanding um, like the implicit kind of uh, biases that we have. And I just, I just started reading and I was like, I need to educate myself and understand like what my biases are that I might not be aware of and how Mm -hmm. I might be communicating these to my kids. And I really learned a lot and I'm still reading. I'm actually, um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's an ongoing um, journey and ongoing growth. Um, But yes, I, I did do that. And, and I think it's really helped me figure out, you know, how to, how to talk about some of these things with my kids, because it is really hard as a white person to talk about race very hard as a white person to talk about race and when what you said in your book was that we learned that when kids notice race they invent ways to explain what's happening and they they invent their stories right like we're all telling ourselves stories all the time but unless we actually stop and interrupt their thoughts and talk about it that they're developing racism without us really knowing what's happening Yes, that so. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. Um, and I'll try to explain that a little bit because it, it does seem when you, it, it does seem like, well, why would you know, why would that happen? Like, why would kids develop racist ideas without, you know, hearing people say racist things or, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it is kind of counterintuitive. This is, again, one of the like areas of research I found really interesting because it is it really does push against our right. Um, if we work in not seeing skin tone and just treating people normal, like as humans, why would this happen if they only right. see me treating people kindly? Right, exactly. Yeah. So and this is what a lot of white parents do. They they raise their kids in what's called a colorblind way. They think like, okay, if I don't talk about race, if I don't make a big deal out of it, then my kids won't make a big deal out of it. They won't notice that like different skin colors and they won't treat people differently based on yeah. their skin color. Um, and that totally makes sense on some level. But the problem is, as you were saying, like kids, kids are trying to figure out why the world looks the way it does. They're trying to figure out what social categories matter. So they're like, basically like little detectives for a lot of their youth where they're just like making a lot of observations and just trying to figure things out. Yeah. And they see very clearly that there's a racial hierarchy in our society. Like they see that white people tend to have more power, more money, um, uh, than people of color. Mm-hmm. And they see that in their schools. I mean, a lot of schools, like if you think of the gifted and talented yep. programs, for instance, are like mostly white. And and they also see that, you know, people tend to self-segregate often by race, that neighborhoods are, are segregated by race, that schools are segregated by race. So they very quickly see, okay, race is important. Yep. 
Um, and they also see this hierarchy. And when nobody comes in, like no parent, when, when the parents don't come in and say, let me explain why this hierarchy exists. Let me explain why white people have more power. It's because of racism. When we don't provide that context, then they're going to come to their own conclusion. And the simplest conclusion is, I guess white people are just better or smarter or more powerful in some innate way. And this is how they come to this idea that, you know, basically right. they come to racist conclusions. And and it's understandable because it is the most simple conclusion you can make when you look at the picture that we yeah, have in front of us. Yeah, kids are right? meaning making machines and they're just going to find the simplest answer. Right. Exactly. And it's it's not because, you know, they're terrible kids or you're terrible parents. It's because this is what the world looks like. And so this is the simplest way for them to interpret what it looks like. So that's why it's so important for us to talk about racism. And also because, you know, they, as I said, they, they notice race is important. And then they also notice that we don't talk about it. And yep. there's something in that disconnect too that becomes very important for kids where they're like okay clearly this is an important thing no one wants to talk about it it must be like bad in some way it must be taboo like maybe race is bad Um, and especially when we sometimes like inadvertently like when our kids say something about race in public and then we shush them or we say like don't say that that's not nice that just feeds that and they think gosh you know this is like this must be one of those secret important things that that you know nobody wants to talk about, but it's actually hugely important. And so that like adds to it. Um, and so it just becomes kind of this like vicious cycle where, you know, kids feel like they can't talk about it, but they've got all the wrong ideas about it. And and they and they also just start to associate like race and skin color with badness. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just. Yeah. It's, or yeah. different accents or different things yep. that there's a lot of ways it shows up in comments mm-hmm. or in jokes that you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Where yeah. did that yeah. come from? We don't talk like that in our house. And then I have to back the train up and be like, OK, let's not shy away from these conversations. But they're uncomfortable to have. They're so uncomfortable. I mean, they're still very uncomfortable for me. And even just like talking about race on a podcast. Exactly. Because like, I feel like we've been socialized. I've been socialized my whole life to not talk about race, you know, and I think many of us have. Absolutely. Um, Especially, I mean, especially for white, that's not, that's not usually true in, in families of color, but yeah, when you're white, it's like, don't talk about this. And so it's really hard to get over that hurdle and I mean, it does get easier. Like it is every time I talk to my kids, it gets a little easier, but I still, I still, you know, hear myself saying things and I'm like, that's not, that does not coming out right. And, you know, and, and often I have to go back to my kids and say like, I think I explained this concept, maybe not in the best way. Can I talk about it with you again? And like revisit it because we're going to make mistakes when we're trying to talk about these really difficult topics. Absolutely. And it's okay. It's important, right? Like this is just an opportunity and, it's important to know that our kids are not too young to have these conversations, that we can have these conversations from the time that they're preschoolers playing with other preschoolers for the first time at a city park or when my kids go off to college in a couple of years. Like these conversations are still going to keep happening. I mean, in the last year, I've had these conversations with my own parents, right? Like these conversations don't end just because our kids reach a magic age of 18, yeah, that's so true. And I think I think sometimes we think of things as parents as like we need to have like 
one talk with our kids about an issue, like especially with sex. We have yes. the birds and the bees talk and that's the one time we talk about it. But yeah, with all of these things, these should be like ongoing conversations. And and that in a way that takes the pressure off because it means like if you kind of don't make a lot of sense the first time you try to talk about an issue, I think like the first time I tried to explain Black Lives Matter, I did not do a great job of it. But then like we talked about it like 30 more times since then. And so I've had more opportunities to kind of, you know, figure out how to talk about it. And so it, thinking of it that way as like an ongoing conversation in a way makes it a little easier, I think. I think so too. And I think it helps when we have opportunities to see the news or to read good books or to watch great programs or, um, or talk about elections. There's a lot of reasons that we can keep the conversation going um, that are inside our house. So maybe they'll feel less scary to talk about because it doesn't directly involve our own kids. Yeah. Because initially, when, when you want to have these conversations, right, you want to make sure that your kids aren't defensive about, about it or shamed. Like, it's a gentle mm-hmm. conversation. Right. Yes, absolutely. I think that is something really important to keep in mind. And that's true even if, like, your way into the conversation is that your kid said something that's kind of racist. Yeah. I think it's because our our initial response in our (laughs) head and heart is like, oh my gosh, my kid just said something racist. This is horrible. I'm so upset. But often our kids don't really know what they're saying. They don't understand all the baggage that's associated with what they said. And so trying to not sort of shame them for saying things and, and instead, you know, to to kind of say, like, even ask them questions like, well, where, why do you say that? Or where did you hear that? Or what do you mean by that? And then trying to get into it in a sort of a non-shaming way, but also communicating like, well, actually, you know, ultimately that's not a very nice thing to say and here's why. But, um, but yeah, trying to, trying to make the conversation something that your kids don't feel uncomfortable, really uncomfortable in, or as yeah. you said, defensive about is really, really helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. We need to approach these conversations with all these hard parts of parenting with just compassion for both ourselves and them, that that's yeah. our biggest goal here. If, if you want to not have an asshole, compassion is a key part. It's so true because they're learning from us, like whatever we're modeling, they're learning from. And so if we are showing them compassion, then they're going to be more likely to show other people compassion. I mean, it's just, they, they learn from what we do more than what we say sometimes. And so, yeah, that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And another kind of theme of the book is like Mm -hmm. model the behavior you want to see in your kids because they learn from you. And so now that you've written a parenting book, are you, um, are you like an expert every day in your house? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I, I have to say it took a really long time for me to even feel like I saw any changes in myself after I read all this research. I talked to so many researchers and experts and read all sorts of studies and learned all sorts of things. And I found it was, you know, really, really slow f- to see changes. And and I think I think parenting is very reactive, you know, it's very emotional and when, and our kids can push our buttons in so many ways. And and so we're not often responding rationally, you know, we're responding with whatever like emotional part of us is kind of being, I don't know, the trigger is not the right word, but, but sort of like triggered. Um, And so I found like I had to figure out how to access like that rational part of my brain that kind of, you know, knew a, maybe a more constructive way of handling something than I was handling it. And and it, that took a long time. And I think it took a lot of practice and there were, and I, but I still <laughs> all the time find myself doing something. And, you know, after the fact, I'm like, wow, that is, 
kind of like directly contradicts what I wrote in my book. Uh, <laughs> I did not handle that as well as I should have. And, you know, but, but it, I find that it, it's getting, it's more, I'm more often able to use the sort of the techniques that I talk about and the strategies than I used to for sure, but it's not like a hundred percent by any means. And I think that that's something that we all have to keep in mind. Like there's no, there's no perfect parent. And even, you know, I have friends who are child psychologists and they know so much and they spend their whole day steeped in the world of like child development and child psychology. And they tell me like, they don't know what they're doing half the time and they're (laughs) making mistakes all the time and they're yelling at their kids. So I think, I think that's a really, really important thing. And I hope an important message for my book is like it, it's hard for everybody. And yep. even when you know, like a constructive way to handle a situation, it doesn't mean you can always do it. And that's okay. Because I think those mistakes too are, are constructive, we can use mistakes as like learning opportunities with our kids. We can, I mean, I am often apologizing to my kids saying, I don't think I handled that very well. Um, you know, what do you think I could have done to calm myself down better? Or how do you think I could have handled that better? And we have these conversations about like, you know, my own mistakes and the own and the, the things that I could improve upon. And I feel like that's kind of normalizing to my kids that it's okay to make mistakes, even when you're grown up. And it's, yep. and it's good to apologize. And it's good to take responsibility for your actions. And like, nobody's perfect. And I think all those are really good messages for kids, too. Absolutely. I think the biggest takeaway, right, is the trust the process of of growth that if we want our kids to be kind, compassionate, connected adults, we we need to keep trying that ourselves, even when it's hard. Yep, absolutely. And it is hard. <laughs> Very hard, isn't it? Especially with the last 18 months, like you wrote this book when your kids were at home with you, right? Well, actually, kind of, or that, where is it mostly done? It was, so this is actually pretty amazing. Yeah. I finished the first draft of the book on March 1st, 2020. Oh my goodness. So it was right under the wire. And honestly, like, I don't know what I would have done if it had been due like March 1st, 2021 or something like, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it was just very lucky. And then the the book ended up getting held for a long time because they didn't want to put it out during the pandemic. I mean, ultimately (laughs) did come out during the pandemic, but they put it, but they didn't want to have it The things we didn't know. Yeah. I know. Right. We thought it would be over by July, 2021. Um, But it's not, but yeah, so I did write most, I mean, I did write it, although I did editing, editing during the pandemic, but it was mostly done before the pandemic. Yeah. And now, and now we're just kind of in the state of being languished and tired and trying to carry on. So that was my favorite, your epilogue of the book wrapped it up so nicely to just keep trying to, to just show up with kindness, mostly for yourself so that you can show up for your kids that way with compassion and to not shy away from the hard conversations. We have to keep having them. Yes. We do have to keep having them, <laughs> unfortunately. But they do get easier with time, I found. Like, they do slowly get easier. And now we, it, yeah, it doesn't feel like as much of a, I feel like it used to be, I felt like I was having a heart attack every time I would try to talk about race with my kids. But now it's a little bit easier, yeah. <laughs> and now I feel like the more conversations we have like this, the more my kids can predict what I'm going to say, mm-hmm. especially as my my teens, that they interrupt me and they're like, okay. I understand. And then they fill in the blanks for me. And I was like, okay, at least it's sinking in. If I don't have to say it again, they can tell me what, what they think I'm going to say. And then I can correct. Right. <laughs> it's That's fun great. to see. That's, 
That's fantastic. That I bet that is really fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. And my kids love calling out things that they think are like sexist or yes. racist now. And and that's great because then when they call it out, it can lead to another conversation about it. But yeah, like like last night when my daughter was like, she didn't consent to being tickled. And I was like, yes, let's talk about that some more. And like what she pointed it out, she noticed it. That is fantastic. I'm so glad you give her the space to have that conversation with you. I don't know if a lot of us that our parents right now grew up with that space, the pushback no. on those ideas, the comment that the book was wrong. Yeah. I want to give you like credit. I, well, thank you. Yeah, no, you're right, though. I, I didn't have these kinds of conversations growing up, I don't think. Um, I mean, I, and I and it's no fault of my parents. I think it was no. like the culture was different, you know? I mean, it's just what, what you talked about at home was not what you can talk about now, I mm-hmm. think, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it's a different world. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, you know, what we're going to end. I think it's going to be a world with a lot of hope, right? Because our kids can keep having this hard conversations, at least with us at home. And so maybe when they go out, they'll have practiced how to use their shaky voices and ask the hard questions. Yeah, that's a really good point. We're making it easier for them to continue to have these conversations with their friends, with their, you know, teachers, with whoever they want. But because we're we're helping to normalize talking about these things at home, it's going to make it so much easier for them in the future. Yeah. Well, thank you for writing this book. I'm glad you dove into science to look into parenting. <laughs> now, most of, most of us don't have the access to the journals or to understand like what they say. So it's interesting to have you dive into the actual research and like, cause it's more cut and dry and kind of boring because <laughs> parenting is so emotional. So when we start to think about it, we get spun up fast. So thank you for taking the time. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure. I mean, research is like, that's my thing. And that's my way into figuring out the world is always through science and research. So it was fun to apply that to parenting. So how are you taking care of yourself right now? Every episode, we end with a self-care task and a family fun idea. How are you tending to yourself? Yeah, there's a couple things that I'm doing a lot more of now than certainly like I was two years ago. Um, I take a lot of walks just on my road. Um, when my kids are at school, like almost every day, I try to walk for an hour and listen to an audiobook. And I'm otherwise really bad about going outside. I will just sit in front of my computer all day. But now like I need it. I've gotten used to it and I love it. And it feels just really nice to be out. Um, and I also am reading a lot of fiction, Ooh. which I didn't I didn't like used to do a whole lot. And I just find it's a really lovely escape. So every night before I go to bed, I read for at least like 45 minutes and it's often like mysteries or uh, um, like thrillers. I don't know. I love them, but it just, it's like another escape. So those are two Do you have a ones. book that you finished that you just have to share? Yes. So I just finished an awesome book and it's also like a really feel good book. It's called The Authenticity Project Ooh. by Claire Pooley. Um, and it is just a lovely story of like, doing being kind and uh, playing it forward and and just being authentic it's it's a lovely book um so I highly recommend that one did you read it or did you listen to that one I read this one um because I was I was traveling and and I read it on the airplane I was traveling cross-country um yes so that that was a couple weeks ago it's really really good and a quick read too it doesn't take too long that's that's fantastic so how are you having fun as a family together how are you connecting so one thing we have just come up with as a family, and I have to say we haven't actually done this yet, but we're going to start very soon. We decided, because we aren't going out a lot, that we're going to have um, like a theme 
like a, a country that's a theme for every weekend. And we're going to cook food for breakfast, lunch Ooh. and dinner, or at least breakfast and dinner. That's like, you know, what that country's cuisine is. Um, because we love, I love cooking different ethnic foods. I love cooking Indian food and Thai food, but, um, but I haven't been doing it a lot, especially with the kids home and they haven't been exposed to a lot, but we recently got um, sushi and they loved it. And we were like, okay, maybe they're old enough where we can start introducing more flavors and, you know, they're getting a little more adventurous. So I feel like this is a really good way to like be able to talk about, you know, history and stuff too, and like geography, but also have fun and cook together and introduce the kids to these different cuisines. Um, So that is our new like fall idea that we're going to be trying out. That is so much fun. I can't wait to see see what recipes you try out. I hope you put them on like Instagram and share them when you try it. That one of the things we did during the pandemic was um, there's a subscription box called Yum Yum Box and they send you candies and junk food from around the world. And every month it's a different country and they give you like a magazine with cultural facts. And that's um, super cool. And so that's been super fun because one, like we get to try like food that is interesting, like salty pineapple gummies from Thailand that we wouldn't have access to. Um, But also like there's pictures and facts we can talk about and we can figure out why their flavors are flavored this way when we start to dig in. Awesome. That is so cool. I'm going to look that up and perhaps (laughs) subscribe because that sounds really fun. Yeah. It's, it's fun to share with our kids in our own home, right? Like I, I think I love that you're doing it at home because it's a little bit safer to say that yeah. you don't like that or oh. <laughs> right <laughs> like um we have to have all those conversations about I trying know, yes. things that are outside of our norm I know and yes and they're going to be picky and I'm sure they're not going to eat half the things I make but or and my husband also loves to cook so he will also be participating but like yeah that's where it goes it's okay right but if we were in a restaurant I'd probably walk away thinking my kid is an asshole when they did right. it when they said something rude about the food in front of people that love the food so so right. thanks for another mean. opportunity to like <laughs> practice this because yeah there's so much our it's yeah. a hard work being human <laughs> It is very hard, and especially being a parent. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Raising these kids is an interesting adventure. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you best online? My website is like a one-stop shop. Um, it's melindawennermoyer.com. Okay. And you, there's purchase links for the book. And also, um, you can sign up for my newsletter. I have a uh, newsletter where I'm answering parent questions about challenging kid behavior. Um, and also my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook pages are linked to on there too. So um, you can basically find everything about me there. <laughs> and your newsletters come out like every Saturday morning, I think, right? They used to. Okay. Now they're coming out Tuesdays. Okay. Um, but actually, and and I'm going to be making an announcement next week and ex- there's going to be more content coming. Oh, cool. More, more exciting. Stuff, so. Yeah. How exciting. I look forward to your emails. So I'm glad. Okay. I'm glad you send them. So I can't wait to see what you do. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for being on. And I hope that you, you know, keep calm and mother on because motherhood is too important to do alone and we need each other. So thanks. Yes, do. Thank you, Christy. This was awesome. This was so fun.